Hello everybody and welcome to this very special episode of Room 2250. My name is Anujan and this week Chris and Hader are out so I'm going to be hosting the show today. This past Friday on March 3rd we had the DCS CSSU Town Hall. We asked for questions throughout on Facebook and Reddit as well and you guys had submitted some wonderful questions that we got to ask Francois Pitt as well as a couple of special guests as well. That you'll be hearing on later on in the episode. Though, first of all, we go to everyone's favorite segment, the news. The CSSU is inviting everyone to their semi-formal dinner and dance, Midnight in Morocco. Experience the charm of French Moroccan cuisine as you dance in the antique candlelit barber room. Music will be courtesy of AI DJs of Rave and Cloudplay from Diesel, as well as our very own human DJ. This formal is a perfect way for you to get together with all your friends before PY, graduation, or just to celebrate the end of another fantastic year. So the event will be happening Thursday, March 29th at the Sultan's Tent at 49 Front Street East. The doors open at 7 p.m. and dinner will be served at 8. To get more information and tickets, you can go to cssu.eventbrite.com. Last day to buy tickets is on Thursday, March 22nd at midnight. Though tickets are going fast, so get yours soon. On more CSSU news, we've... If you haven't noticed and you haven't came into the office, which you should, we've got a brand new Nintendo Switch, which you can come and play with your friends and possibly destroy your friendships in either Overcooked or Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So if you haven't seen it, we have a wonderful array of consoles from, of course, Melee as well as Smash 4 on the Wii U, as well as we have an Xbox One as well. So you can play any of your favorite games. You can bring your own games and play with all your friends. So next, a bit of news from the Varsity. The UTSU is to hold a referendum on the student U-Pass. So, for those of you who are not in the know, the U-Pass is basically a TTC pass so that you can have unlimited travel on the TTC while you are a student. So, the UTSU has made a deal with the TTC to establish a U-Pass for up to $322.50 per session, aka about $80.60 per month, so the fee would be no higher than $80.60 per month compared to the $116 that you would pay for a post-secondary Metro Pass. Though, the only thing is that students will not be able to opt out of this fee. So whether you don't use the TTC at all, or you're just a casual user of the TTC, you would still need to pay for a full TTC uh, U-Pass. Sadly, the TTC was not able to uh, accept a proposal from the UTSU to have a student opt-out procedure. So the vote will go on later this month, so please uh, do read all the options and vote considerably depending on whether you want a U-Pass or not. And now for the news that you're actually waiting for. So we're going to be having the first half of the CSU DCS Town Hall. Sadly, due to some technical difficulties, we were not able to get a recording of the second half, but we hope that uh, you still enjoy the first half with all the major questions that we have. So on the panel, we have Francois Pitt, uh, Associate Undergrad Chair, as well as Professor Danny Heap and David Liu, Christina from the Undergrad Office, as well as David and Cheryl from the CSSU as well. So you'll see that this jumps very much directly into it but basically we start off with the post questions as well so 
what is going on with the post as of this year. So you'll see a very good breakdown Professor Pitt does about the post. It's all of its new changes for the upcoming years and the DCS's future plans. So I hope you enjoy and I'll see you when we come back. Enjoy. In stream, right? Everybody who was in first year computer science admission stream and there's everyone else. And we are using two cutoffs, okay? Last year was 80 and 83. This year, well, I don't know what it's going to be, but I can tell you that this year, the number of students in Comp 1 who are going to be applying is about the same as it was last year in Comp 1. So you can make your own guess as to what that means in terms of the cutoff. It's likely it's gonna stay about the same for students in stream. What's gonna happen here? is anybody's guess. If we have roughly the same number of students applying overall with roughly the same kind of grade distribution, then it should be about the same. If there's twice as many students applying as last year and we don't have twice the amount of room, then that's gonna have to go up, unfortunately. If there's half the number of students applying, I don't think that's gonna happen, by the way, then it would go down and so on. So that's the big, that's one of the big questions about cutoff. Um, let me see. The number that we take in says is, is... There's a rumor of an 89 completely false at this point. I don't know. Um, it, it, it depends. I mean, I have no... I have very little information about how many students are likely to try to apply. So here's the other piece of data that I have. Um, we have roughly the same number of <coughs> seats in CSC 148 and CSC 165 this year that we did last year. So the number of students who were able to take those courses is roughly the same, right? But how many students are gonna be retaking those courses or take, have taken them before, or are, right? Coming in as transfer students, I don't know that either. I expect <coughs> over the last couple of years, things have somewhat stabilized in terms of those numbers, if you look, if you found the uh, program admission website, you've seen that the trend was, it's gonna go up by 6%, it's gonna go up by 9%, it's gonna go up by 5%, and then last year it kind of stabilized and leveled off in some ways, okay? I'm hoping that that trend is going to continue, um, and I think it's likely that it won't rise very sharply, but it probably is going to fluctuate, fluctuate a little bit, that's right. Um, I'm trying to find the other questions, pre-asked questions that were about post. So how about the uh, 207, 236 removal for next oh, year? Oh, yeah, 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 207, 23. Let me talk about that and then I'll, I'll get your question. Um, so, So you know, I'm not going to add CSC 240 to the mix here. You know CSC 240 is an option to the second one, right? To apply to post, you need 148, 165. But the, the rules in the arts and science calendar up until this year have been, well, if you've completed CSC 207, then we'll take the best 
between your 148 and your 207 grade for program admission. And if you've completed CSC 236, then we'll take the best between 236 and 165 for program admission. Now, starting with this year's calendar, what's happened is we've done this. We said, no, you need 148, 165. That's the courses we're using. If you don't get in using those courses, sorry, but you're not getting in. And of course, a lot of people are worried because some people are thinking, wait, I, I was planning to get in using 207. What happens to me? Right? So you can rest easy. For this year, the old rules are still going to be used because they are the rules that were in effect when you were taking those first year courses. That's going to be the, the dividing line that we're going to use is anyone who has completed these first year courses this summer or earlier, we're going to use the old rules when you completed the first time. If you complete one of these courses for the first time starting this fall, then the new rules apply to you. You can only use the first year course. Now, some people were um, worried and concerned. Why are you making this change? Why are you making it harder for people to get into the post? And so let me tell you why. We're not making it harder. We are making it... <laughs> okay, let me use a, a, a word that may not be totally politically correct. We're making it more humane. Uh, in the following sense, what we have found is there's a lot of students who start off in first year, don't quite make the cut based on their first year grades. Figure, I'm close enough, I'm just gonna keep trying, take 207, take 236, take the, all these second year courses, and now 207, 236 get a little harder than 148, 165. You don't do quite as well as you thought, you're still not in, now you have to retake a second year course, you're into your third year now, you're still not in the program, and now you retake those courses and you still don't get in. Now where are you at? You're in the middle of your third year, Okay, you've spent all this time, all this energy, only to hit a wall, and when you come to the undergraduate office, or to me, or to whoever is going to be associate chair, and you say, what do I do now? The answer you get is, I'm really sorry, there's nothing we can do. If you didn't get into the program, you, we can't let you in. But now it's, it's getting kind of late to turn things around and say, okay, let me find something else. And there were a lot of students in that kind of situation. We don't like it. We don't want students to end up in that situation. We don't like having to say to students, we're sorry you can't get in, but if we have to say you can't get in, we'd rather say it early so that you have a chance to turn around and do something else instead of spending all this time trying to get into a program that you're not gonna get into, okay? The flip side of this that you're not gonna see in the rules is that while we've done this, we are also working on expanding our capacity so that that number of students we can let in each year is going to get bigger and hopefully the impact of that is that those cutoffs are going to drop. Now that is not going to be instantaneous. It's going to take a few years before that capacity increase really kicks in. So there's going to be a rough patch in the meantime, but we're working towards making it better overall. So that's the post stuff. You pretty much answered uh, what the question was going to ask anyways, but um, I was wondering, do you have any like rough figures on the capacity increase? And also, is there any interest in it or thoughts on providing a 148-165 class specifically for people who are retaking it? 
something like that. Okay. I can tell you that we haven't thought about trying to <clears throat> split off, you know, special sections of the course specifically for people retaking it. Um, part of the issue there is if we do that, that's teaching resources we don't have to put towards teaching more students in the program. And right now, that's, that's our limiting factor. We'd rather devote those resources to the program and the program courses. Um, I don't have figures really to report in terms of the growth projection. Uh, all we know is, because we're still working through all the, the, uh, the implications of that and how it's going to work out. As you can imagine, it's, it's, a, it's complicated. <laughs> um, I don't know if um, you're, the committee you were chairing, David, has gotten into that level of detail or not. Okay, so that's, that's one of the things you know, that is still to be worked out. So unfortunately, I don't know. I was actually wondering, do you know like, how much from, from CompStream, like the CMP1 stream, What's the percentage of students that actually apply to that post? Okay, so that actually has been surprisingly stable over the last four years. Um, of the students who come in who are in Comp 1, what we find is 70% of them even apply for post at the end of their first year. So 30% of the students just drop off. Maybe their performance was poor enough that they think there's no point, I'm not going to get in. Maybe they find something else, because that is part of the point of first year after all for a lot of students to come here and to try out a bunch of stuff. Maybe something else catches their fancy and they go off and do something else. So 30% of students don't even apply. Of the ones that remain, a further 20% usually don't make the cut. And so 50% of the students who started out in Comp 1 typically make it into the program at the end of their first year. That sounds kind of low, but you have to keep in mind that 30% of them didn't even bother applying, right? So it's actually a, a higher proportion of those who apply who get in. And in terms of the capacity that we have, that has also been fairly stable for the last four years, that the number of the students who get in, we usually get about half our students from COP1 and half from other um, admission streams. <clears throat> All right, anyone have any questions specifically related to posts? Well, if you come up with that, just let us know along the way. So, I guess more for Francois. So, the first question we got was actually one of the very interesting ones. To deal with the crazy demand for CS, would you consider splitting the current CS program into an applied CS program post and a theoretical CS post? The main draw of this idea being that many applied courses, 209, 243, can be focused on. Sorry, I'm just actually going to read this very. Yeah, yeah. yeah something like that. Um, <laughs> you got it. Well, courses, basically. so I, I will say the idea of saying, look, there's a lot of people who get into computer science not because they want to go on to grad school and do deep theoretical research into computer science, but because that's one of the things that's going to get you a good job, and we're quite aware of that. Um, the idea of saying maybe we should try to, you know, tailor our programs to those needs is something we've uh, toyed with. It, there's no plans to do that for now because we're still, again, it's the same problem as earlier. You know, if we start to offer different versions of courses, 
Well, that requires more teaching staff. So if we get more teaching staff, do we put them towards teaching the same number of students but offering different kinds of courses? Or do we put them towards teaching more students? Right now, teaching more students seems to be more important. And so until that stabilizes, um, I think that idea is kind of on the back burner. Right? We're not saying, no, we won't do it. But we're saying, now nah, this is something we don't really have the, the capacity to work on right now. The other thing is, um, people change their minds. It, it happens that somebody's sure that they want to go into theory in their first year and they change their mind by third year and vice versa. So any, anything that locks people in is not necessarily good. That's a good point too. Fair enough. So, all right, next question. So why are CS summer courses four months long as compared to the math and physics courses which are only two? I'm happy to take that one too, um, but I mean, I don't, I feel like I'm Does kinda, anyone else want to take the question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, so uh, I guess I teach, you know, CSC 148 a bunch, I teach CSC 165 a bunch. Um, specifically related to, I think, a lot of the programming courses that we see, um, especially at the younger levels, um, but I think maybe the same thing applies to the intermediate and senior courses as well. Because we're a very skills-based discipline, we find that students really need to take time to actually develop, say, like their programming skills or their skills on proofs. And a more condensed format in which you're doing things like twice as, in which you're kind of you know, taking lectures twice a week instead of just once a week, doing labs twice a week instead of once a week, even though you might be covering the same you know, contact hours, it's not actually giving these students enough time to really practice with material in a way that we think is actually appropriate for learning. Like our discipline is very much about skills and not about memorization. And so, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you can memorize things really, it matters say like how comfortable you are with say programming and that's something that we find really needs a full four month or a full 12 week uh, semester to develop. Anyone else want to jump on that? No, that's... Okay, so, so this, this question was actually uh, put towards Danny and David but uh, I think Francois can also put to this. It would seem that the quality of teaching in first and second year courses is better than the third and fourth. Why is there such a disparity? <laughs> can I step in and ask a question in, in answer? And I want, I mean, I realize the person who asked this question may not be here, um, but what's better? Right? The question says quality is better. What does better mean? Um, is, I think, an important thing to realize. It's different. I mean, there is a bit of difference in personnel. Um, teaching stream faculty, faculty who, what our job is teaching, it takes precedence over research. We're concentrated more in the first and second year. Um, there are some brilliant teachers whose main occupation is research, but you know, you get a little bit of the in-between. I think also what happens is probably their expectations of you go up over the years. So we feel a responsibility in our first years to give you an overarching narrative that ties topics together. Whereas, and I, I'm not saying this is correct or not, it may be by the time a third year instructor is in front of you, they're expecting you to fill that in. Okay, so that, that may warrant some pushback, but I think there may be some mm -hmm. of that going, going on. I, I was gonna say, I, I think um, that's a lot my impression as well. It, 
keep in mind that a goal of your entire degree, not just your, you know, the specific courses and programs that, that we offer, but the entire degree is by the time you get to fourth year, if, if the U of T has done its job well, you are someone who, not someone who has learned everything they need to know, not at all, you were just starting, but you, we have gotten you to a point where now you are equipped to learn anything else you need to learn on your own. You know how to do that. Well, what that means is by the time you get to those upper year courses, those courses have to start to do more of the, here's the stuff, you sort it out, and then you know, let me know if you have questions. And the transition may not be as smooth as we would like it to be. There may be a bit of a whoop step there. Um, so that's something that we can keep working on, but I think that's, that's part of what happens that you know, ties back to, to what Danny was saying. Is anyone coming? Yeah, uh, so um, there used to be a course, I think it was a 300 level course called uh, Information Theory. Yes. And uh, I think it yeah. was taught somewhat recently, like I think uh, Tom Fairgreave taught it sometime past 2010. If you look at like old websites, I might be mistaken for that, but I think it was like somewhat, somewhat recent. But I got, it, like, it's, still the, it's still on the calendar, but it's, but it's not being offered anymore. I'm just wondering uh, why was it uh, discontinued and will it be uh, added again at some point? So um, that was a course that was put together by one particular faculty member who then left the department and there was no replacement found, nobody who was kind of ready to, to pick it up and, and go with the course because it was somewhat specialized and in the meantime I think it stayed in the books um, maybe because there was still some uncertainty about are we going to get someone who can pick that up? Are we not going to get someone who can pick that up? Let's not take the course off the books if next year we're just going to put it right back. But it does mean that it, it's kind of fallen in that limbo of, well, we, we don't want to get rid of it because we might offer it again, but we're not in a position to do that right now, um, unfortunately. Okay. Thanks. So I guess another course that seems to have been is CSC 150, which this is the first time I've ever heard of it, and the Emerge 148. Is, it, is there any chance it would be ever brought back? Actually, could you describe what it is for those? Who well, that so 150 wasn't so much enriched. 150 was basically 148, but it was 140. So that's part of the reason why it disappeared. Is <laughs> it started off as a, hey, what about students who are, who would be bored to tears in in 108? Well, but not quite bored to tears. They they would get a little bit of something for from a few topics in 108, but they're they're really mostly ready for 148. Can we do something where we do all of the stuff from both, like quickly go through all the 108 stuff, because they're mostly ready for, they know it all, but except for a few pieces, and then go through the rest of the 148 material faster. And it sounded great, um, kind of like the way 240 does CSC 236 and CSC 165, but faster, except for, the, for CSC 150, it turned out to never quite work um, the same way. And so in the end, it was decided that it, it just, it wasn't worth the, the resources that were going into the course. We were better off offering another section of 148, bigger section of 148 with the same resources. Fair enough. So Cheryl and David are just sitting there at the back corner. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's time for the CSSU question. So the CSSU seems to be very cliquey. Why is that? And what are you doing to improve on that? <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you feel 
feel that way whoever said that. <laughs> but I mean, we've been trying to do a lot of things to kind of like improve the atmosphere in the season team. So I mean, we did our big furniture rearrangement. We have our Pancake Thursdays. If you guys want to come out to that this Thursday after this week? Um, yeah, so we have a bunch of community building events too, including our semi-formal that's happening on March 29th. Please buy tickets. I'm just plugging everything right plugging now. Plugging everything, Cheryl. Me too. I won't get to talk after this. No. Um, yeah, I mean, if I, if I could speak to that, um, you know, we, we're kind of bound to the space that we have, um, which serves two purposes, one being a common space and the other being our office. Um, our team is like 13 people, so I mean, in that room, that pretty much fills the room. Um, so I think it's very common to see the same faces in there because they are part of our general council and whatnot. Um, we have no intention to push people out, and everybody is welcome in there. We have video games, a kitchen, all those things that you might want. So definitely like, don't be afraid to step in there. I think that's the largest mistake that a lot of people make is that they feel intimidated and don't take the chance. But seriously, we're all very nice, friendly people, and we really want you in there. So come check it out. I can attest to that for the most part. <laughs> now, the definition of the CSU as a kitchen is maybe a bit, a bit stretchy. No hot water. No hot water. There's a microwave, though. There's a microwave. That's as far as we say. Yes, go. Can you just quickly elaborate? Uh, for all those people here who don't really know what the CSSU is there for, like, what is the purpose of the CSSU? What are your goals? The tough question. I mean, ultimately, I believe that our mandate is to help facilitate community um, and to participate in discussions with the department on the students' behalf. Um, so when it comes to building community, I mean, obviously, with all the post requirements right now, things are getting fairly competitive and since community definitely kind of gets pushed aside. Um, so we're trying to uh, run events, bring people together, make everybody realize that we are all in the same boat. Um, and yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's really just a bridge between like the students and the department. So like things like this event, or I mean, if you guys have any other concerns that you're not too sure about, like you know, who to go to, it's probably good to just send us an email. We probably need to the right person. Okay. <laughs> well, can I ask a question? Sure. So my question for the CSSU is, how, um, like, what's the what's the advertising for events like? Like, like, if I'm a student, how am I supposed to find out about events for the CSSU? So I think number one is our Facebook page, which we should just like write up there. Or I'm <laughs> assuming that you guys probably found it if you're here. If you're here, you're most likely either saw the posters outside free pizza. For all the people like yeah, listening at home later. Oh, okay, that's true. So we actually have a lot of accounts, yeah. way too many. So we've got our Facebook, our Reddit, uh, a WeChat now, Instagram, <laughs> Snapchat, um, and. Oh. Yeah, other than that, there's also the DCS emails, which you guys should receive. Uh, which Hopefully you read them. <laughs> Very valuable stuff. Um, also the Bay and Screens we tend to use for larger events. Um, but ultimately, like Facebook is probably our number one desirable platform, besides from the DCS email, so definitely make sure to follow that page. Should we write it on the board? Does anyone want me to do that? Or? Sure. Uh, so why is there no official CS common space? I guess maybe Chris could. Would you like to address that? Why there isn't? So I think I, I'm a little puzzled by the question because what do you mean no official common space? Like we have a whole bunch of places that are common spaces. 
Um, now, you know, CSSU being one of them, um, some of the labs where, where, where people can congregate and work now, labs aren't, you know, you can't just put yeah, up Yeah, I don't think we count labs as being a common space, but. But um, space, it turns out, um, for a certain group of people in the department on campus, when you say the word space, you'll see them cringe. Um, it's, it's a tricky proposition. Uh, I don't have a good answer to why we don't have a good common, official common space other than because there is no space. <laughs> Everybody's getting squeezed in terms of space, faculty and staff and, right, as there's more and more students, we need more and more people to support the programs and courses and so on, and everybody still has to fit within the same number of rooms and, and you know, square footage um, as before, and so everything gets, you know, a little more cozy. All right, does anyone, oh, we have a question from up there. Can you yell it out? Can we get a couch for 3200? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, send, send, in, send in an email with a proposal and, and we'll take a look. I'm not gonna guarantee uh, one way or another, but we will, we will look at it and think about it, absolutely. If we're going on stuff that we like, uh, bigger TVs, <laughs> I, I just wanted to raise, cause um, I, I one point I was actually working at the U of T as uh, like trying to do something, like the innovation hub, we're trying to do UX testing for U of T. Okay. And one of the things that we realized uh, doing that was that there was a profound lack of non-academic spaces on campus where people could actually meet and congregate and not bother others or even sleep sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like that was a really pressing problem. And, and it's not just our department, it's yeah. across like arts and science and the whole U of T in general. Um, I think in, in fact, in some ways, we are better off than lots of other departments on campus that have no space at all. Um, a tiny kitchenette in, in a cupboard-sized room, and that's it. That's their common space. So, it, you know, it's yeah. it's a balancing act. I just want to raise that it might be an outsized effect than people might assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that is good to know. So I guess then, why don't we have a CS congregation, though we have the numbers? Oh, the convocation. Convocation is complicated. It is... Uh, bound by lots of tradition and rules having to do with colleges and it's very very difficult to break out of that mold however much we would like the short answer I mean one short answer to that is we cannot make that happen as in the faculty the staff in the department cannot do whatever it is that it would take for a computer science only convocation. There was one time when it happened a few years back when it was the 50th anniversary of the department and then Faculty of Arts and Science said, okay, that's a special occasion. Yes, we'll, we'll allow it. The only way that we imagine it could happen in the future is if the request comes from students. If enough students speak up and say, we want this, then the university pays attention. If faculty members say, well, it would be nice to have a conv convocation, then arts and science and university sort of goes, yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? And <laughs> that's the end of that, essentially. It's not quite that bad, but... Maybe if a bunch of students organized in a student union were to <laughs> <laughs> on the faculty and point out that they pay extra high fees, yeah. 
I don't know if we need to get into the double tuition <laughs> fight right now and compare with the essential yeah. the engineers, but uh, we'll try and keep it civil. Civil engineers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, good. That's there are some good of those. <laughs> so I guess. Do you want to take some questions? Yeah, actually, there? do you have some questions from the floor? All the way up there. Would you like to yell it out? Or just, hey, one mic, sure. Uh, I was just wondering, um, so right now I'm in PEY, right? Uh, and I think that the value of experience in a student's like, progression from year one to graduation is really important. But PEY is super competitive, where there's not only your own peers you're facing with, but also like outside other schools, like Waterloo, McGill, I, or whatever school, I don't know. <laughs> I think Master of Works. <laughs> yeah, all of those names. Um, are there other options that the department or anybody who knows who has the power to make more of these kinds of things available to students? Um, yeah. I have an answer to that, but... Um, so, the one thing that I know uh, we are doing that seems to be working very well is the DCS Innovation Lab, DISL, um, is running Talent Tuesdays every Tuesday or every other Tuesday, I forget the exact schedule. If you, if you Google DISL uh, Utrato, you'll find it, but it, it's easy also. It's dcsil.ca is their website. Um, we don't have, we don't run our own independent internship program because, again, it's a, it's a resource question that requires a lot of, of staffing to run and manage and we just we don't have that staffing right now. It is something we are looking at and thinking about in terms of those the those growth plans that I was talking about for the future. That's one aspect of what we are thinking about, but it's not something that's going to be here in the near future. It's sort of a future plan for us to look at. For now, PY is the one kind of already existing organized thing that you can do. The Talent Tuesdays are also good. They're, it's more free form. It's not as organized. It's more about just uh, helping you make those connections and then it's up to you to negotiate. Hey, can I get a summer internship? Um, but it does help form a lot of those connections. So can I ask another thing? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is more aimed towards the CSSU then. Are there any like kinds of... Uh initiatives to foster kind of like student-run things that can, you know, if students have like the same idea, they notice that there's a lack of these kinds of experiences, not just internships, but like, hey, let's take what we learned in class and do something, or let's actually organize a group of people who want to apply uh, some things or research something that they're interested in. Is there some sort of like thing that you guys can offer or like have ideas of or groups that are yeah, um, I mean, if I can start off by saying, like, I definitely feel your pain, I guess. Um, I was personally very disappointed with the way the PUI program was run this year in particular. Obviously, they're very understaffed and under-resourced right now. Um, I went out on my own and managed to find something. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody has the, uh, like, the... It's scary. <laughs> um, we have, you're certainly not the first person to bring that to our attention. Um, and at the beginning of the year, we were looking at opportunities to try to connect industry with students. Um, the biggest challenge we face is that there's a lot of people who are looking to hire people 
but are not necessarily uh, responsible employers. Um, so there's a lot of you know startups and whatnot that aren't necessarily going to have your interests in mind. Um, so we had a huge kind of roadblock trying to figure out what the best way was to discern you know real companies from those looking to exploit our talent. Um, Certainly, we would like to do something about it. Um, for the upcoming year, we're looking at introducing some new positions in our general council and our executive council. Um, I think it would be a great idea to dedicate somebody specifically to industry relations. Um, and so hopefully from that, we could create maybe some kind of portal um, to provide job listings for students, or at least keep some record of companies that are looking to hire that we could point you towards. Um, so I'd certainly encourage you personally to come have a chat with us. Maybe we already have somebody in mind that we could point you towards. Um, and if you have ideas, if anybody in here has ideas of how we could actually make those connections happen, we would love to hear them. That was a pretty good summary. I mean, I don't have much to add on top of that, other than uh, sometimes we do have people that have uh, job postings that come to us, and we'll just post on our Facebook page. Um, but of course, it's really hard for us to vet them and make sure that you know they're responsible employers. So um, if we are a little bit lacking on that front, because uh, we can't really tell who will keep you on to full time they promise, and that like you know it's decent work and it's work that they promised. So I guess on the PY front, we got we have a PY related question. So why does PY or at least the engineering career center seem to tailor everything towards the engineers and just has CS as just a side thing that they just want to do? So the the person writes here example resume links. The engineers love like three-page resumes, and so, CS is a one-pager. Um, I'm afraid I have an unsatisfying answer to that, and that's because PY is an engineering-run thing. Um, it, it really, I mean, they're the ones who started it, who are staffing it, who are managing it. They realized early on, you know, we've been, we have a relationship with computer science. There's a bunch of these companies looking for people with that kind of experience. I guess we, you know, it would be fine for your students to participate, and because we've never had the, the resources to run our own, to mount our own separate program, it's sort of like, well, all these resources are there already, sure, let's, you know, let's participate in the program, and that's the way it's been. Now, I, I haven't heard um, that particular criticism specifically before, so that's something that we'll be taking a look at. Like, I'm happy to have that conversation with people at PY and say, and see, you know, are we making sure that we're meeting the needs of our students? But ultimately, it is an in engineering-led program for engineers primarily. So, yeah, it's not surprising that everything is geared towards engineers because that is their primary focus. Um, we'll see what we can do to, to get that adjusted. Yeah. In that same spirit, um, is there any, would it be possible, or is there any interest at looking into the engineering um, security class, the information theory class, and potentially more closely integrating that with CS, like making it easier for computer science students to take? Because it seems like a very vital component of our I, I have not, uh, uh, sure. Yeah, we could do, we can look at that for sure, yeah. Just, you know. I guess even like more cross-coordination between like having CS students take some of the engineering courses because we now, uh, there are dedicated seats in CS course upper year courses. That's right. right. Now to be fair, right? They're they're facing similar crunch that to the one we're facing. Um, 
they probably have a bunch of their students right now talking to their, well, maybe not right now, but right, <laughs> talking to their faculty members saying, why can't we get more space in this machine learning course or in this other CS course? And well, because we don't have more space and it's probably a similar, but we can certainly have that conversation. Yeah. Can I actually ask a question to Asina, um, which is around ECE courses in general. I mean, I'm enrolled in 568 right now. Yes. What can you tell us about the enrollment process and what courses we are actually eligible to take? Okay, so there are some ECE courses that you can take that will be used to satisfy your program requirements. And what you need to do is, <clears throat> excuse me, is to pull up one of the forms that we have set up online for you through Arts and Science, to take courses at the slide of Arts and Science, and it allows you to take courses in engineering at the senior level. You need to get permission from engineering, of course, and that would be because um, space is limited. But certainly that opportunity is there for you to take engineering courses and have them count towards your program requirements. That's why. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's not just, I don't think, um, I don't think that we have, a, you know, an actual list of approved courses and not approved courses. It's on a case-by-case -case basis. And so what it boils down to is the, the form basically, you need to get two signatures on the form. You need to talk to the department and the professor teaching the course to confirm that, yes, I am okay with letting you take this course. I have confirmed that I think you have the required preparation and there is space. And then you need to get the form signed by us to say, yes, this is a course that we will accept and count towards your program. You really need both. And you need to talk to both people. You can't have a single person doing it because the engineering prof can't decide whether or not the course will count towards a CS program. That's up to us to decide. We can't decide whether or not there's room in the course. So you really do need both sides. Okay, so there's a hand up. Okay, so we'll have that last question before we go for a small break, and then I can just yeah, show that. Um, a really popular thought, especially between uh, upper year students, is why are we in the arts and science faculty? Because it seems like we are paying the tuitions, like engineering tuition, but we're getting the resources of art side where in fact we actually need engineering resources. For mm -hmm. example, the course 258, we have to, there were no labs, and that's a huge issue in that yeah. um, And we have to borrow that from the engineering. So like, it doesn't make sense for me if we are paying kind of like similar tuition. Um. I mean, why we are in arts and science, there's historical reasons for it. Um, why we are still in arts and science, maybe is, is right, a, a slight rephrasing of your question that um, because making that kind of change is very difficult, it turns out. Um, it's, it's not something that uh, the department is ready to do just yet. There are advantages to being in arts and science compared to engineering as well. Um, the, the sort of more liberal arts philosophy of arts and science suits some of the things that we do much better than engineering. Engineering has very structured uh, programs compared to the arts and science programs. And computer science, the way it's evolved uh, in the last, over the last decade, um, is it's, it really is kind of a, a glue, right? That, binds together lots of different disciplines, that fits in much better within 
arts and science, even though on the practical side of things, I totally hear you on the front of, in terms of resources, in terms of the way things are managed on a day-to-day -day basis, the engineering model seems to fit what we do better, what we do and the way we teach it is more like engineering. Um, but how it's used and how it fits in with other disciplines is more typical arts and science. So it's, we're kind of caught in the middle. Um, but I've made a note, it is, it is a good thought to keep in our mind and consideration to keep. I don't know that anything can happen quickly on that front. In fact, what am I saying? I know that nothing will happen quickly on that front, but it is something that we can certainly keep in mind and keep thinking about, you know, that possibility. I know that some people have also asked before, why don't you just split off from arts and science? You're big enough. You just become your own school of computing or something. And yeah, but there's a lot of stuff we get from arts and science in, ter in terms of administrative, uh, you know, administrative support, um, admissions process, all the whole registrar's office, and all like there's a lot that we would have to be able to take over ourselves, and we're totally unprepared for that right now. So taking that step. Is it possible? Well, I guess it's possible. How long would it take to get there? Ah, a good many years before we can put things in place if it's a direction we wanted to go. All right, so, okay, quick question line. So just um, bouncing off of that, could we have full-time access to the labs if we are in one of these hardware courses like in CSU 3 This is something that maybe like your chief part could allow you access because I only have six hours to work on my assignment in the lab, and that was extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, I know 258 is a particular pain point. Um, we're constantly looking at, at different ways to, to negotiate something different, but right now what we have is kind of the best we've been able to get. But So I'm not saying that to say, don't ask about 258, we can't do anything. Um, actually, do ask. The more, you know, the more we hear from people and the more we can say, look, we've, we've got more and more students kind of bringing this up, the easier it is for us to go back and bring it up again. But don't get your hopes up too high because, again, it's one of those things that's complicated and probably will take time to change. All right, so we're going to go for a quick break. All right, so that was our DCS Town Hall. Uh, thank you guys for listening as well. And I'd like to personally thank as well all of our guests for coming out and answering all of, your, all of the questions that we had throughout the event. So thank you so much for listening. I hope I did a somewhat of a good job. Now I know how tough it is for Hader and Chris to make an episode bi-weekly. This is actually a really tough job to do. So... Thank you, everybody. You can find any of the past episodes of Room 2250 on YouTube, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or any of your pro favorite podcasting streaming services. If you're interested in more of what Francois Pitt has to say about post, please listen to episode two of Room 2250. So thank you, and have a great week. This is Anujan signing off from Room 2250.